What's up, guys? This is Marcus Smith, the youth pastor at the Bridge Church in Odessa, Texas, and I am super excited to introduce a new Bible study resource called Scripture Snack. Now, what in the world is Scripture Snack, you might ask? Well, that's a great question. Scripture Snack is just a short devotional where we take a passage of Scripture and we break it down on screen together. And that's it. Really, the goal of Scripture Snack is twofold. And the first goal being, um, I would just love to be able to provide us with biblical encouragement throughout the week. As Romans 15 verse 4 says, the scriptures were written for our encouragement and so that we could have endurance and ultimately have hope through the encouragement that the scripture provides. So just in a world of uncertainty right now, I would just love to be able to sit down next to you and open the scriptures with you and hopefully provide biblical encouragement. That's the first goal. And goal number two is to help us slow down and study the Bible carefully and faithfully. Just like the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1 verse 2, that the person who's going to be blessed through Bible study is the one who sits down and studies and meditates on God's word. There's no blessing promised in scripture for the person who merely skims God's word. The blessings start to come and the treasure starts to be unearthed when we sit and we meditate and think about and ponder and preach God's word to ourselves. So those are the two goals with Scripture Snack here. And Lord willing, we will have a more consistent Scripture Snack schedule as we kind of get the feel of it. But right now, these messages will be uploaded to our youth group podcast and youth YouTube channel throughout the week sporadically here, but Lord willing, we will be able to get into more of a schedule as we go. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Today's scripture snack is Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 through 3, and this is what the text says. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And based off of this passage from the book of Hosea, I would like to make four comments or observations that I think that we would be encouraged to walk away with. And the first comment is this, that we must cry out to God for forgiveness, even when it hurts. I would say, even especially when it hurts, that's when we should cry out to God for forgiveness. If you look at uh, verse 1 here, the beginning of the verse, it says this. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Now, Israel is making this statement while they're in exile because they had almost sinned themselves into oblivion. God literally had to remove them from the land that he had promised to them earlier on in their history because their sin was so obstinate and they were just running rampant in their sinful lifestyles in an unrepentant manner that God literally removed them from the promised land and sent them to Babylon. And that's where the priests and the nation of Israel are making this statement here. Come, let us return to the Lord. 
Now, that is a humbling, sobering thing. John chapter 3, Jesus makes the statement that um, the reason people do not come into the light or come to repentance and faith in Jesus is because their deeds are evil and their deeds are dark. They do not like coming into the light lest their deeds be exposed. They like hiding in the darkness. They do not want to come to the Lord or return to the Lord. But we must return to the Lord because he is our only sense of hope in times of need. So we must cry out to God no matter the cost, no matter how much it pains us, because he promises to restore us, as we will get uh, into later here. But the second comment that I'd like to make about this passage is this, that sin has painful consequences, needless to say. This is especially needless to say for Israel because they are literally in exile right now when they are uttering these words. They are a shell of the grand nation that they once were, probably questioning where God is, probably wondering if he's going to keep his covenant or his promises or not. They are the remnant currently dwelling in exile. And they say this in uh, the middle and last half of verse 1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. He has injured us. And they're noting the painful consequences that they have brought upon themselves that the Lord has inflicted upon them. And I want us to notice something about this too. They do not credit Satan with their consequences or the Babylonians with their consequences or the pain that they've experienced, right? They say God is the one who is ultimately in charge of inflicting the consequences that they so deserve upon them. It is God who is ultimately in charge of the consequences that they experience. Not Satan, not the Babylonians, not nobody, except God. Um, and as Martin Luther would say, he said, Satan is God's Satan. God is in complete control of the enemy, namely Satan. But God is the one who is ultimately in control of the consequences and the the punishment that we receive because he is a loving father who chastises us and disciplines us like a good and loving father rightly does because he wants us to return to him ultimately. That's the goal. That is the ultimate goal. He does not just chastise us with no end in mind. The goal is so that we can return to fellowship with him and experience his presence in its blessing and in its fullness. So observation number three I'd like to make about this passage is this, that God is eager to forgive. God is eager to forgive. If we just stopped at observation number two, we would leave this passage discouraged. But God never leaves us discouraged, even in the midst of our sinful habits and tendencies. It says, though he has torn us to pieces, he will heal us upon returning to him, right? We have to return and confess and repent And then he will heal us. That is the the promise, even after he's torn us to pieces. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. So just like he's the one who inflicts punishment and discipline upon us, he is equally able to restore us and to heal us and to bind up our wounds and to wipe every tear from our eye ultimately, right? Verse 2 says this, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us. Now notice how this is already a done deal, right? It says he will restore us. He will bind up our wounds. He will heal us. If you return to the Lord, all of those blessed realities can be yours. It is signed, sealed, and delivered. 
that th- these are these are realities. If you do return to the Lord, He will do it. Not this, not just that He can do it or that He might do it, but that He surely will do it. That's the promise of those who repent and return to the Lord. And I notice, I want us to notice this statement as well. It says, after two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore us. After two days, after three days, what does, the heck does that mean? That just means that he will immediately restore us if you repent. He will surely not delay. Um, it, it, if you repent and if you return to him, we will get to live in his presence as well. We live in his presence. Now, there's a sense in which God is everywhere, right? He is omnipresent, meaning he is in the room that you are listening to this message in right now, and he's in the room that I'm recording this in right now. But to experience his blessedness, to experience his smile, if you will, that is what we experience when we are returned to the Lord. When we have forsaken our sinful ways, our sinful habits, our sinful lifestyles, and we keep a short debt with God, and we live a lifestyle that is defined by repentance, then we will live in blessed assurance that we are in his presence constantly. And he smiles upon us in our efforts, and he does say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it means to be restored to his presence. And the fourth observation I'd like to make about this passage, and the last observation as well, is that God always shows up for people who want him to. God always shows up for the people who want him to. And I get that from verse 3 here. It says this, Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Because as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now, I have a buddy back home in Menominee, Wisconsin, that I have the privilege of seeing every spring break or Christmas break or whenever I get to go back home. And he's a fellow brother in Christ, a dear brother in Christ. And whenever I sit down to share a meal with him and just catch up on how his life is and how everything is doing, I always ask the question, man, how is your walk with the Lord going? And he kind of pauses a little bit and scratches his neck and kind of turns his head to the side and he says, man, I just have not been feeling the presence of God. I just have not been experiencing him moving in my life in mighty ways. I haven't been seeing him. I haven't been seeing him work. I haven't felt God move in and through my life. And I say, huh, that's, that's interesting. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, that doesn't have to be in a constant reality that you're always feeling God's presence full blast. And it's always just an emotional thing because we walk by faith and not by sight or feelings. Ultimately, we don't walk by emotions. We walk by faith. But the fact that he's not even experiencing God in his day-to-day life at all makes me want to ask a question. And I ask him, I said, Cole, when was the last time you opened your Bible? And again, he scratches his neck a little bit, and he says, well, it's probably been the last time I saw you that I opened up the Bible. And that was 8 to 12 months ago sometimes. There's Bible, there's, there's dust collecting on his nightstand night next to his Bible, on top of his Bible, and he hasn't opened it. And I ask him, I say, Cole, well, when was the last time that you, you got on your knees and prayed and cried out to God? And he says, well, I haven't done that much either. And then I ask him, well, when was the last time you played video games? Or watched Netflix or gorged on a Netflix show for hours on end. And he says, well, I did that right before I came to dinner with you. And I just want to stop and I just want to say, man, how do you expect God to speak to you if you will not allow him to? If you're not taking regular time out of your day to press on 
and acknowledge him, to press on and get to know him. And this is not just a casual deal, right? This is a pressing, this is a straining ahead to know and to see God and to encounter his presence in its fullness. This is not a willy-nilly endeavor. This is an endeavor that requires discipline and strain to be able to know God in his fullness, right? Because if you do so, if you do so, Cole, I'm saying this to my buddy right now, as surely as the sun rises tomorrow morning, God will appear to you. God will appear to you. It's a done deal, signed, sealed, delivered reality that will be yours if you press on with all your might to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises tomorrow, he will appear. He will come to you like the winter rains. And we're living in Wisconsin right now um, when I'm talking to, to him over dinner. And it does not rain in winter in Wisconsin. It snows. But as surely as the winter snow will come upon us, and the spring rains will water the earth come June in Wisconsin. God will appear to you, my man. And that's the promise that we have because God always shows up for people who diligently seek after him. And I want to issue that challenge to you right now um, with two more passages from Scripture that just complement Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 that say this. One is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you hunger and you thirst after it, uh, righteousness, and you hunger and you chase after God like it's your daily bread or your daily water to stay hydrated, then God promises to fill up your cup with righteousness, and you will see him and you will encounter him 11 times out of 10. And James chapter 4, verse 8 also says this, says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, another will, another signed, sealed, delivered guarantee that God will show up when you ask him to. I'd like to close with this exhortation as we are in corona fever right now and we're maybe quarantined, whoever we're listening to this right now. Um, I just want to challenge us with this. Don't waste your quarantine. Don't waste your quarantine. Do not let dust collect on top of your Bible on your nightstand for however long this quarantine lasts. Press on to know God. Press on to acknowledge him and to chase after him and to hunger and to thirst for righteousness because he will draw near to you if you do so. Cry out to him. Return to him. Do not waste your quarantine. Please press into God's word daily during this time. God is doing a million things at once, and I know that he is drawing the church nearer to himself than maybe he ever has before in the history of the United States through this quarantine. So let's not waste it. Let's become better men and women of God as we chase after him during this season of quarantine.